Hello and welcome to the Activist Podcast, brought to you by Vegan FTA, vegan for the animals. I'm your host, Gareth Skirr, and I will also be joined by my wonderful co-host and wife, Jackie Norman. In this episode, we have the bold and unapologetic James Wilson. As a farmer of four decades, James's story proves that it's never too late to go vegan. At the age of 79, he is making his voice heard for the animals and showing others what is possible. In this interview, we also talk about James's book, Plant Paradigm, where he shares his story as a farmer and lays out many of the common arguments against veganism and provides you with the answers to combat them. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did and be sure to check out our social media pages at VeganFTA on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube where you can also find this series in video format. So for all the people who are fed up to the back teeth with sending off questions like where do you get your protein from or that humans have got canine teeth, help is here thanks to author James Wilson. His book, The Plant Paradigm, Plant Paradigm here, details every reason why we should go vegan. And it also provides all the help that we need to begin making that transition, which is pretty amazing considering that James was once a, a farmer upon a time and he didn't actually have a good word to say about vegans. So <laughs> James, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Good to be here. <laughs> Lovely to have you. Well, um, first of all, yeah, thank you for putting together such a fantastic and comprehensive uh, resource. You know, your book is just is living proof that it's never too late to change your beliefs and your habits. Can you tell us a little bit about your farming days, though? How big of a farm and what sort of organization it was, what type of farm? Well, I was born on, born on the farm I farmed, and then I, and I traveled. I, and I studied agriculture overseas, and I worked on a, quite a number of farms before going back to the, the family farm. It was 600 acres of good Manawatu land. And, uh, and uh, yeah, we were farming sheep and cattle. And a bit of cropping, but, but um, and in the early days, it was sort of fattening beef and, and breeding ewes, but we, we moved in, in, into, into dairy beef. We raised a lot of calves and, as well as, yeah. Definitely. So yeah, decent size operation. Um, yeah. And like you say in your, in your book, you know, you were a, a proud farmer, you know, very patriotic as, as we are here in New Zealand, you know, and in helping to feed the country and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, it's been a huge turnaround for you. And that turning point came when well, you were hearing a, a radio interview, weren't you, um, after being prescribed warfarin, which is basically rat poison. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. What was it that, you know, what did you hear in that interview that led to such a dramatic turnaround for you? Well, if I, the, the, trying to keep it short, but, but I, did, I suffered two pulmonary embolisms. And when I had the second one, the doctors prescribed me on warfarin for life. They, they, and, um, and I dutifully followed that advice for a, for a few months. But it was it was terrible, terrible thing to knock me around. And I was working in the bush and I was bleeding all the time when I came out of the bush. And... Um, so I declared that I was going to give up Wolfram to hell with it. And and all my friends and all the medical people that I knew said I would die. They were quite blunt about it, I would die. But I did I, I was so fed up with the Wolfram, I said, Well, I'm gonna give it a go anyway. And uh, and as I was going through the process of giving up the Wolfram, Kim Hill was interviewing this guy, Dr. Caldwell Hesselstein, and I was so convinced by what he had to say that um, by the time he'd finished the interview, I'd decided that I was going to go for a plant-based diet. And um, went off and bought his book, 
cleaned the house out of all the, all the, all the, all the wrong food. And I've been vegan ever since. Oh, and good I've been vegan something like 10 years ago now. Oh, wow, so it's been long, yeah. That's cool. I mean, yeah, certainly Dr. Esselstone, he, um, he's pretty much inarguable, isn't he? He presents such a good case. So um, that's fantastic that, you know, he made it all the, all the way on the airwaves uh, to New Zealand like that. So. Absolutely. Well, he was, I think he must have been in New Zealand. I'm not sure now. But anyway, yes, he, he's very convincing. And then, of course, having read him and then the China study and then John McDougall and, and uh, so many of the other authors and doctors and that's you only have to read one or two to be totally convinced but then the rest just keep reinforcing the, the image that, that they're trying to put across absolutely yeah it's like warfarin or you know <laughs> which way do you go it's a no-brainer really isn't it once you know it's yeah yeah <laughs> so for us we're always watching more of these lectures from the doctors and although we're already at that stage um there's always just another little quote or something to learn from and it's always just uh yeah so wonderful to keep on researching it but um so obviously yeah you decided to go plant-based for health reasons you know understandably um but however it, it wasn't too long before you know the the plight of the animals sort of caught up for you so from four decades of farming animals um did you have a sort of a light bulb moment a sort of wake-up point you know where you realize the the ethical side of things it was all gradual Imagine as a, to move from a man who used to say on a number of occasions that the only good vegan was a dead one. Because um, I really was violently anti-veganism when I was a farmer. I used to make my children eat meat three times a day. I, I thought, you know, I thought the world would revolve around meat. So to, 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 to go to change to be vegan was, was a hell of a mindset change for me. And, and so just focusing on eating the right food and learning how to eat the right food, let alone cooking it, were the two things that I focused on. But very gradually, as, as time went on, um, I, I then became more and more aware of the environmental damage that the meat industry is causing around the world, which is huge. And I was introduced to that by when I, I early on, when I went vegan, I created a website called wanttolivealongtime.com. And from, from there, I got a letter from two men in, in, in the States who worked for the uh, United Nations Food and, well, I can't forget the term now. And, and they wrote to me and said, keep on with your good work. If only half the world stopped eating meat, we could reverse our carbon levels back to pre-industrial times. And, and that, that's never left me. That, that's how easy it is to, to reverse our carbon problem, is just give up eating meat. And, and um, so that started me on the, on the track of, of thinking about the environment. And then I started, and I was getting, so now I was hot on being my human health and environmental health. And then relatively late in the piece, it dawned on me that we were treating animals like we treated slaves, that, that, we, that, that we buy and sell them, we decide when they breed, we decide when they live, we decide when they die. And, and um, and all to, to produce a product that's killing us and killing the world. So that the, 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 the cruelty to animals one or the ethical one, it was the last of my three in, um, enlightenment. But it, they're all equal. It doesn't matter who I talk to now. I, want to, I can talk on any three and feel that I'm, I'm still, I'm, there's no arguing with what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, the, the more you know, you know, you can't unknow it once you make that connection. That's so, right. Yes. Definitely. Yes. So for you, I mean, as a farmer for for forty years, um, it must have come as a huge shock to those around you that all of a sudden you're like, no, this is bad. This is bad. You know, we shouldn't be doing this anymore. So what kind of response did you get? Did did people get angry with you, especially people that you know? Well, yes. Um, I've always been known to, as someone who's quite willing to change his mind if I've got a different opinion. And so a number of my close friends sort of said, oh, James is going off on another tangent. <laughs> and, but, but then they were just, many, many others were just like I was, furious with me for, for breaking the rules. And, 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 and still that, that applies. People still re get really angry with me because I'm acting as a traitor because um and and last week I was branded a terrorist and 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 that's because um I'm threatening the demise of the of the major export product in new zealand and and that's um and i'm and there's another element of course that I've now come to learn about, which is that fake meat and fake milk is what I call them, but it's in fact plant based um meat and milk. And now a real threat to the meat and dairy industry in the Northern Hemisphere, where the markets are. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just feel nodded when, they, when people get angry with me, which they do, they still get very angry with me. Um, I'm doing nothing more than being the messenger. The, the, my message is, you're going to live longer. The world's going to be a better place. The animals don't deserve to be treated this way. And... No one's going to want your, your, your product, production products in the near future anyway, which makes everyone very angry because what are they going to do with their land? And I haven't got the answer to that. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that we were talking about in, well, we were just saying this morning, weren't we, about yeah. being messengers, you know, and um, it's not a competition when you try and talk to people about why it's good to become vegan. It, it's not like we get paid a commission for doing it or there's nothing in it for us. It's like, oh, notched up another one, you know, it's, it's mm. not about that. So, yeah, it's, it's quite amusing why people get so angry. But like you say, you know, we're threatening in their eyes um, what has been a very, very profitable system for a very long time. Well, you stop forgetting that when I was a boy coming out of the Second World War, my father preached to me constantly that we were doing the most um, patriotic thing we could by feeding the Brits. So in, in my youth, farming was a, a patriotic exercise, or seemed to be. And, and, then it, and then it turned into, an, now it's pure economics, there's nothing patriotic about it. Yeah. So, um, so we heard in um, a radio interview you did about the book um, when it was initially sort of released and stuff that you wrote it to sort of um, fire back at some of those people saying, oh, no, not another vegan, you know, when hearing about your lifestyle choice and, you know, something just a slap down in front of them as you put it there. And um, how did you go about choosing the information you put in that book, you know, to be that, that response to slap in front of them? <laughs> I have to tell you, it hasn't been as successful as I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we can help you with that. <laughs> I hope you can. I hope you can. Um, I just, I, I, I studied the whole subject for, I don't know how many, six or eight years. And I had it all bursting in my head. And I sat down and I wanted to write the three things. And in the book, I refer to the three legs of a stool. And you only have to believe one of those three, you know, the health and the cruelty or the 
environment. And still, you should be giving it up, or at least contemplating it. But the amount of tables I've slapped it on and the effect it's had is disappointingly low. People are complimentary about the book. They say, oh, it's, it's well written, some of them say. And it's interesting, but I'll, I'll think about it, or I'll do it next year. I'll do it when I'm getting old. <laughs> yeah, my, uh, my mother has a, a good friend who she's really trying to help her because she has... Um, osteoporosis isn't it rheumatoid uh, arthritis, rheumatoid, think. <laughs> mm. uh, rheumatoid arthritis and she has all these different health problems and she's given them uh the book like the china study and when you've read the china study it's i don't know how anyone can you know refute anything like that and you can put all the knowledge in front of some people and yeah yeah you put all the knowledge right there for some people and they just just doesn't go in unfortunately you know sometimes i think maybe we have to slap them with the book not actually yeah. read it <laughs> <laughs> the people that I know that have changed because of a fright, they're the lucky ones, like I did. If you get a medical fright and then take enough initiative to read one of these books, then you can um, make the move. But I have to say that an awful lot of people I know my age, or not younger than this, that um, are now inside what John McDougall, I think it is, refers to as a medical envelope. Mm. And once they get inside that medical envelope and they get a stent put in their in their artery or whatever it is, and they um, and the doctor says, oh, I only just got that in time, you know, otherwise you'd be dead by now. And they, they and the, whether, it's a, whether it's a stent or whether it's um, um, some other cure, that they get inside that envelope and the doctors persuade them that they got them, they saved them, mm. and now you have to follow my dictums to keep alive. And they go on down that path, and the further they step into that envelope, the harder it is for them, or even, or for me, to draw them up, or for them to pull the way out of the medical profession and go down this other path. And even if they go to the doctor and say, look, I've read this book and I think that, that I should change the diet, the response is, oh, the diet's, it's not going to make it. You do that diet if you want to. And not, not go over it and we'll, we'll watch what it happens and we'll gradually withdraw you from the medical treatment. There's none of that. And so, so an awful lot of my people of my age are too scared to step away mm. and that, that, that's what I think. <laughs> yeah definitely understand that and we've been conditioned to put uh, our faith completely in in our doctors you know they're they're the ones that know best you know so um, you know doctors don't like people like us saying you know no you don't know best <laughs> you know you're not looking at the big picture um, and, and patients don't don't like to think that their doctors aren't um, they don't know enough they're not doing the best for them but I mean I have to say that oh you're um when it comes to a book that you want to slap down in front of everyone you you've really succeeded in that I mean I read this uh over the weekend and it, it's it's fantastic you know I kind of um you know being a vegan for what three years now I was thinking oh it's probably not too much that I don't know but there is a lot that I don't know and there is I've never seen a book that contains so much fantastic information all in the one place you know it really is the kind of book that you just want to be like read this this will tell you everything you know <laughs> it will change your mind um it will you know there's just a staggering amount of information in here you know it, it's all undeniable you've, you've got it in pictures you've got it in graphs um must have taken you ages to research but um you know to me this this book pretend, presents the best and the most detailed case for going vegan that i've actually come across um, That's very kind of you. 
Oh, I, no exaggeration. You know, it, it really is so comprehensive. And, you know, I think everyone should read it, particularly every New Zealander, if they want to see what's really happening in their own country. But everyone around the world, you know, it, it's hugely enlightening. Um, you know, how did you go about um, choosing what information you wanted to know that you wanted to include? Uh, it, it's, it, I belong to a writer's group. And I actually started writing a book and I subsequently finished the other book, which is a bit of sort of an autobiography of what I now regard as my first, the two, first two thirds of my life. Now that I'm going to live a long time, and um, and 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 so I I get a, got a fair bit of skill in putting words together, and then I so enjoyed going to this writers retreat that I I wanted to know what I was going to write next. So that that was the the start of me writing the book with me because I had to go go to write a writer's retreat. But so then I suppose I wrote a lot bigger book and then and then edited it edited it down to this because um I didn't want it to be long. I didn't want people to bore. And in fact there's a bit of a criticism I've got of quite a few of the books that you get out of America anyway, speaking generally, where the message comes in the first two thirds of the book or the first half of the book and then they sort of pad it out so it makes like like a and they start repeating themselves sort of thing. And I wanted a book that put it down on the paper and then walk away. And and you know, that, that, so that's 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 the way I, I plan to do it and that's the way it's worked out. It's it's awesome. I mean for, for people that haven't seen the book yet, I mean you've you've got fantastic detailed um arguments for want of a better word, you know, about why, you know, our current system is, is so bad for our health, bad for the animals, bad for the environment. Um, but then, you know, the second half of the book is, is all the positive stuff. Well, this is what we can do to change that. If you're thinking about going vegan, this is what you do. Here are some people that are really going to help you on your journey. Here are some people that have, you know, testified how great it, you're going to feel and how much of a difference it makes. Um, you know, it, it really, you've got the whole shebang in here. So yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you very much. The the area of um, what interests me is the area of animal cruelty, because that's an area where um, we're, we're we're totally blind to it, aren't we? The, the 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 we can we can accept the health if only we could get out of the medical envelope. You know what I mean? And 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 we should we've got to accept we're going to accept the the the, the, the carbon and footprint we're creating. With, um, um, with with animal farming, but the cruelty to animals because we've been slaughtering and and dealing with animals for so long, it's we put we're completely blinded, and that's the one that amazes me. That you can talk to people at a dinner party and say, you know, would you like would you would you be happy if you gone out and killed that animal and and dealt with it before it was put on the table? And of course, if they get, you get deep enough under their skin, they'd be they're horrified about it. But they, but but then they shut it away, and if they can, and so they shut that one away, and in the process they shut the others away. So, thank you for saying nice things about the book. But if only I could get it through to people. <laughs> oh, we sure it will. Like it's all just that matter of um, you know hitting the person at the right time. You know that right bit of information. If it comes at the right time, we'll just all of a sudden blossom. You know, and um, grow that seed immensely. So when you were going through all the information, was there any any piece of information in particular that was the most shocking or, you know, just really sort of blew you away when you discovered it? Yes, indeed. The, 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 
I've got the book here. The the graphs that show the um, the uh, the biomass. Can you see that? Yeah. Oh yeah. The, the biomass growth, and and that 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 is just shattering. Back there, there was there was wild animals only, and a few humans. And you get to this side, and there's virtually no wild animals left. And and that that line up there is all the domestic animals, including humans. But the important thing is, being a farmer, this line going along here is the carrying capacity of the earth. Wow. And that carrying capacity is, that is what the earth is capable of producing. And everything above that line has been forced grown with using fossil fuels. Crikey. Now, now, so that, and, and people won't grasp that. And to me, that is just enormous. And so that the day the oil, oil ceases, that line there is just going to plummet. And not only the, the domesticated animals, but humans as well, I'm afraid. But, mm -hmm. but, the, but, but, but the fact is that the bulk of that line is domesticated animals. It's just a system built to collapse, isn't it? It is too. It is. It's, it's, it's shocking to me. And that was, that was, the, that was, a, that was a big realisation. That, that it's totally, this meat-eating habit we've got is totally unsustainable. Mm. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Um, it's you know one one thing that really hit me as a as an ex farmer myself. Um, you know when you were talking about how we've bred these these animals to be docile, you know, and that really hit. You know, here I was back in the day, um, fifty kilos, five foot nothing, and I was in complete control of a herd of of two hundred and twenty animals. You know, two hundred and twenty dairy cows. Um, that shouldn't it's mind blown now. You know that that shouldn't happen. That should not happen. But you know, you you talk in frank detail about the cruelty farmers inflict on their animals, even if they don't realise it. And um, you know, you even said on air, cruelty to animals from farmers is the normal, natural thing to do. So you know, as a former farmer myself who now speaks out against that industry, having that knowledge, I really um, applaud your honesty and, and thank you for for, for doing that. Um, you know, I've been asked many times by other vegans um, how how on earth I didn't realise how much we exploit these these docile creatures. You know, even though there are a lot of practices that I didn't like um, at the time. You know, I was just told, well, it's tough. You know, that, that's how it is. I was conditioned to accept that this is just part of the great circle of life. You know, so um, in your farming days, how were you conditioned as a farmer? Well, I um just because I I grew up to it. I grew up with it. I, I, I castrated my first two-year-old bull when I was, I don't know, 12 or something like that, <laughs> you know, without anesthetic. Yeah, over here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, which, when I look back on it now, as, a, as an adult, being, being castrated as, as an adult with no anesthetic and just throw the balls to the dogs afterwards, it's just <laughs> beyond comprehension. And yet that's what I was taught to do at that age. And by then, I'd, of course, I'd been involved with docking and lambs. And, and just the thought, when I wrote the book, I was thinking about the various cruelties we inflict and how we should be thinking about those animals as if they were children, because they are children of other animals. And um, just putting an earmark in a lamb or shoving an air tag into a car is <laughs> a brutal um, 
attack on their integrity. <laughs> and we do it all the time. If you do it all day, you just do it. You don't even think about the cruelty or anything. Oh, exactly. So you just grow up with it. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember kids that were so excited to get a day off school because they would, where they got to help dehorn the, you know, dehorn the cattle. Um, and you're right. It's a, it's a huge part of life. And um, yeah, it's we are extremely conditioned. I, it's interesting. I don't know how it, it how it is for other countries, but but being over here, yeah, that's, that's certainly how yeah. it is. Well, even <laughs> I think it's the same all over the world. I mean, it's in some countries, they've got different levels of um, uh, where anaesthetics should be used. Take dehorning as an example. But um, whereas in New Zealand, well, I don't know what it is now, but certainly when I was doing it, we were dehorning cattle with um, horns like that, huge. <laughs> like animals threw his head everywhere, and you'd be flying all over the place trying to transfer the thing up. Yeah, very bloody, very messy, oh, horrible. Um, <laughs> even the paste, we used to use paste. Um, it was oh, yeah. Paste and even that you could just see them. It must have been awful. This acidic stuff, you know. On, on yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. Oh <laughs> God, you know. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it fills me with horror. Like, stop the podcast. We would like to take a moment to give a shout out to one of our partners, Viva. Viva are experts on vegan health, nutrition, recipes, lifestyle, and campaigning noisily and effectively to save animals on our planet. Want to go vegan and be a champion for the animals? Everything you need is right here. Head on over to viva.org.uk to learn more. Now back to the podcast. You know, how do you feel now looking back that you were once part of the, the animal agriculture industry? How, how do you feel? I, I, I don't make any excuses. I was brought up to it with it. And I, and I saw it as being patriotic and then an essential financial thing to do. And, um, and, you know, when we start discussing it like we are now, I start saying, "Oh my God, that's terrible." But but I but I don't I, I don't lie bed and worry about it. I I inflicted it and I did it, and that's the end of that story. But I do relate it frequently to the to to um, slavery. I do I see this exact same story. People were taken from Africa or wherever they might have been taken from, and treated, bought and sold, and and prodded to see whether they had good muscle, you know what I mean? And then fed the minimum of feed or the appropriate amount of feed so they get enough work out of them. And and everything about it was treated exactly the same as farmers treat livestock. Mm. And now it's slavery. I know this still goes on, but we, but in civilized worlds, it's absolutely horrified about the actual actions of slavery. But we accept the same treatment for sentient animals that we've got around us. But you did raise before the point about the breeding. We have bred those animals to accept that now, 10,000 years of breeding. They've produced docile cows and docile sheep. And, and, and so we, we don't, we seem to think that they're quite happy having it done to them. Yeah, that, that was definitely something that, that, yeah, like I said, really, really hit that for me. The fact that we have caused these animals to literally submit to our will is just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really heartbreaking. Yeah. I think, um, you know, like there are more and more of us farmers coming out and, and talking and, you know, I applaud you so much for that. And, um, you know, for me, um, once I made that connection, it was, it was very hard to live with, you know, it was, it was really, really hard, very hard to forgive myself. And um, another um, dairy activist, Jessica Strathby, you know, she sort of 
said to me, well, the way I deal with it is the fact that we've got this knowledge, we were put on this earth for a purpose, and, you know, we need to use this, this knowledge, this information, this experience to, to get it out there, you know, to, to um, open other people's eyes to what's really going on, having no, known and experienced it fully yourself, you're then able to say it with you know the full full backing of that yeah. um, experience and to all the people that say oh that doesn't happen here it only happens in america it only happens in the u.s or whatever it's like oh no oh no you know don't don't kid yourself <laughs> no no i think i think i i haven't thought of along those lines but i guess i've definitely got it as part of, it's, it's my reason for living now is to get is to appreciate all the three legs of the store mm. yeah it doesn't matter which one but we've been focusing lately about the animal cruelty but 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 i'm yeah it is my mission there's no way i'm walking back from it that's for sure i mean i'm no no way am i going to walk back from it because i'll die and i don't want to die (laughs) i loved what you said in an interview recently actually um i think it was with jesse mulligan and he sort of said you know how do you stand out amongst your peers and you said of course they're either all dead or dying (laughs) you know it's wonderful it's a sad truth it's a sad truth well, um, on the topic of the, the three legs of the stool, uh, in your book, you actually talk about a fourth one, which um, we really love as well. And you say um, about being vegan for the joy of it as well. And um, when did that joy become apparent to you, you know, with this lifestyle? I was wondering about that. And I thought, and I, and I, what came to mind was um, going, I think it was to my daughter's garden one day and she put me, picked me a whole lot of, silver beet and I started salivating <laughs> which is what I used to do if I someone gave me a chop or number steak and I started salivating at this green green silver beet and I do that all the time now but, but that was a I suddenly realized my god this is the way I like to live now <laughs> yeah and it was a that was almost a dawning experience but um for us, I totally understand the, the whole joy aspect, and that was something that we discovered very early on as well. And one of the great things we found about, um, you know, cooking plant-based vegan food is that um, there's just so much of it. When we were eating meat, you know, we sort of stick to the same old recipe, shepherd's pie on Wednesdays, roast on Sundays, you know, but um, it really opened up a, new, a whole new world of, of cooking for us. And um, I'm sure, you know, you and your wife, Barbie, were the same in uh, where did you find those recipes from in those early days? Who did you turn to for inspiration? Um, I, when, we, when I went vegan, I said to Barbie, my wife, um, this is it, we're going vegan. And she said, well, who's going to do the cooking? And I said, I'll do the cooking. And so I've been, I've been doing it ever since. And, um, but luckily for me, I've, I've, always been, I've always enjoyed cooking. And so then I just ransacked the web and ransacked it. And all those books like Hessel Stein and um, uh, Colin Campbell's son, whatever his name is, and, and John McDougall and, and Grieger, they all offer all sorts of recipes. Most of them I found as unsuitable for a New Zealand flavour, New Zealand taste. But they, these gave me the start. And um, now I just, I've, I've got, I've got hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of recipes now. And uh, I, I should write it, I should publish them like you've done a recipe book. But on the other hand, so often I've someone says, Oh, can I have that recipe that you, you've made me love? Can I have a copy of that recipe you sent me a year ago? And I've got to admit, I've completely changed the recipe in the last 12 months. 
So um, that's what I love about it. Every day is different. <laughs> it really is. It really is. It just uh, expands your repertoire so much, doesn't it? You know, even what we've done, like you say, you know, we've written the cookbook and we're going back to it now because people are coming to us saying, oh, we've made this recipe. It's great. And we're like, oh, yeah, you know, because there's so much available that you're just constantly making new things. Whereas when, you know, before we were vegan, we just, yeah, yeah. same old, same old. Yeah, that's an interesting one, that, isn't it? That, that, so nothing static once you get into this game. Yeah, like for me, it really invigorated me in the kitchen as well. When I first went, um, I've, I've started doing a lot of the cooking. And um, yeah, just I, I'm, I'm a terrible one. For, I'll jump in the kitchen and I'll make something wonderful. I'll cook up a storm. I'll, I'll give it to Jackie. And she said, oh, what's in this? How did you make this? And I, I, I go, I don't, I don't know. I was in the kitchen. <laughs> I'll never make another one of those. <laughs> that happens every day here. <laughs> uh, so, um, so there's always a lot of discussion in the vegan groups about, you know, uh, ditching the meat, eggs and dairy. Um, what do you think is the best approach, you know, whether just a gradual do it or just a straight cold turkey, just ditch the lot? I um, was a very heavy smoker. And the only way I survived that life is, is by going cold turkey. And and I actually feel that the way to do it is go cold turkey, because if you don't go cold turkey, the, the, it's like you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll give up. I'll, I'll give up smoking. I'll only have three a day. Well, that generally means that next week you'll be doing ten a day. And and I think the same with with um, with going cold turkey. I felt that I had to draw a land a line in the sand, which I would not go over, and and that was a very early decision. And and every now and again I I slip up, but very very seldom. And 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 I hate myself for it. It's a personal dislike now. Apart from the fact that if I eat meat, I can't I can't I can't actually swallow it nowadays. But um, uh, so I, I think cold cold turkey is the way. But of course everyone's different. Other people may be able to squeeze down. Yeah. But yeah. they haven't had a fright if they're doing it that way. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I was just listened to, um, I think it was Anne Ethelston um, the other day, and she was uh, doing a cooking demonstration, and she was saying, "Oh God, just do it, just do it. You know, don't faff around, just go and do it. You know, it's uh, it's the best thing that you can do for yourself." So, um, yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and yeah, we went cold turkey. I mean, Gareth, Gareth said I went vegan. Um, he said he would support me, but would never go vegan himself. And five days later, he was straight in cold turkey. So. Yeah, I, I was the anti-vegan as well um, before things started out, and uh, I was happy to support Jackie. But um, yeah, it was the, with the food, and then learning about some of the health things that lured me in, and then of course the same. You start learning about one of the aspects, then the next one comes, and then the next one comes, and then next thing you know, you're a full-blown activist. So. <laughs> <laughs> the sad story is the people I know who one of a couple want to be vegan, but they have to cater. Generally, the cook wants to be vegan, but they have to cater for the spouse that refuses to be vegan. And I know a lot of people in that, that camp, and that's a very hard one. And and so, one in a, one of a one of a couple going vegan is hard work. I think it seems to me it is. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I mean, even when we were first went vegan, although it was only five days before before Gareth went vegan, those five days I felt like I was just endlessly in the kitchen, because you know, just cooking two things all the time because it wasn't just a case of um, 
you know, when, when I was vegetarian years ago, um, you know, you cook a roast dinner and you'd have all the veggies, but, you know, just not have the meat. It wasn't a case of doing that when, when you're vegan, you know. So, um, yeah, that was that was interesting. I'm really glad that he made the switch so quickly. I think, I think you did very well. And I feel so sorry for the ones I know that, that they, they, they really want to go vegan. And they obviously want their partner to go vegan because they, um, Jerry, the partner's pretty crook. But... Um, yeah, but they, exactly. but they can't. They can't persuade the partner, and so they, then they, then they, they lapse every now and again because of the effort. So. Yeah, definitely, it becomes too hard, and uh, yeah, we see that all too often. So, I mean, for us, eating meat and dairy is, is such a huge part of New Zealand culture, and um, you know, we know a lot of people that are fitness fanatics that, you know, they know the information, they've seen the game changes, they, you know, they know the sense in it, and they want to give it a go. Um, you know, they know that it's so much better as, as, as athletes for their performance, their health and their recovery. But they said to us, the one thing that stops them is this whole cultural um, indoctrination, I suppose. You know, they sort of say things like, oh, God, my family will disown me if I stop doing that. Or, you know, my grandparents, you know, it's their livelihood. Um, if, I, if I stop eating meat and dairy, you know, I feel like I'm going against everything that they've worked for. So yep. did you experience yep. any of these feelings um, going against that culture that, you know, we were once such a proud part of? Um, yeah. what, what sort of advice would you give other people that sort of have to deal with that? Oh, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I just don't know. I mean, you talk about fitness freaks. Around the world, the, the successful endurance athletes, and that's the, the most telling of all, um, you know, in, um, athletic endeavours, they can only survive in the game if they go vegan, because all the top ones are vegan. And if they want to compete, they've got to go vegan. And so, um, and, and do you know what? That's been going on since, oh, the first first discovery in Harvard was, was, I think it was during the First World War that they, they discovered that athletes, that when vegan athletes had greater stamina and strength than meat eaters. Did you know that? No. Um, Dr. Spock, you've heard of Dr. Spock? Yeah. He was raised a vegan. He got to, went to Harvard, he got into the, the rowing eight, and he was told he would only stay in there if he ate meat. So he converted as a student to eating meat. And it wasn't until some years, many, many years later, that John McDougall, Dr. John McDougall, found out that the, the year he went, went, was forced to eat meat was the year that Harvard, in another part of the, of the university, discovered that vegans had a higher level of stamina and strength. And so, and so that was, well, well that's what, over 100 years ago now. And, and, and still, athletes think they've got to eat meat and milk for stamina. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, we were talking to um, to Dr. Clapper the other day, uh, Michael Clapper, and, you know, we, we've been watching um, documentaries and speeches that he has given 30, 35 years ago, you know, and this information hasn't changed. It's all still the same. It's not one of these passing fad diets or whatever, you know, the, the evidence is there. It's been there this whole time, and these doctors are still fighting to get their message out there. Oh, it's so infuriating. And the health one, there's an interesting one. When we went vegan, um, Barbie used to get occasional um, pain in her hands. And I quizzed her as to what was she doing that made her cause that. It turned out that she was playing golf. And uh, at golf days, she'd eat a sandwich with a bit of butter in it. 
and that was enough to, to, to crank up the arthritis in the hands, just that much. And, and everyone says, oh, well, that's just a one-off example. But then you read the books about the effect that daring has on, on arthritis, and it's there in black and white over and over again. And yet so many of my friends have got arthritis and they still eat milk and cheese. And <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, so, it's so well documented on one side and so ignored on the other, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it doesn't come from your local GP that you've been to all your life, you know, then it's, it's, not, it's not real. It's not true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How has your health improved over this stage? You know, it, it seems like the obvious sort of question. Oh, it's, it's, it's an interesting one because um, I was overweight and reasonably active, but overweight. And so I lost a lot of weight when I, um, uh, when, when I, when I changed. And now um, uh, I, I've just had my 79th birthday oh. and I'm... And I'm and I'm as fit as a and 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 I think the the biggest statement I can make is just express my own good health, which is you know as as good as gold, and and, and I think that's 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 the biggest statement I can make now. Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Dr. Clapper said to us, you know, that's one of the best things that you can do is is lead by example. Yeah. So, um, and so, yeah, you you never had to take the warfarin again. You're you're no. not full of medications. <laughs> no, nothing at all. Nothing at all. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, must be. It's great, and um, yeah, just enjoying life in a beautiful part of the country. So, um, you've mentioned that um, since reading your book, you know, several people have gone vegan after after reading it, which is fantastic. And yeah, having re read it ourselves. Yeah, I just want to put this book in front of everyone. So um, you've got some wonderful quotes that I'm going to be, you know, spieling to people for forever because, you know, they're so bang on. Um, some of the ones that really stuck in, in our minds are, um, you know, we eat meat and dairy products as the result of learned behavior. You know, we eat plants for survival, but our, you know, our inclination to eat meat and dairy, that's been learned, that developed. It wasn't with us from the start. So I really like that one. Did I say that? You did say that. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a very good statement. <laughs> right. It was a real light bulb thing. It was like, you're right. You know, we're not, um, you know, you've, you've got a, a fantastic section in the book, which, you know, really explains all of the um, evolution of, of humans and you know how we've got to be the way we are and those canine teeth that we've got you know you've got all the comparisons there all the data and um, and it's brilliant you know it was just like yeah we've learned this this is something that you know at some stage in in you know man's evolution someone's decided that it was a really good idea to, to try and eat this stuff and um and, and kill things you know um to make us stronger so uh, yeah that was, that was an excellent quote <laughs> I must read the book, mustn't I? <laughs> there's, a, there's another great one that's really good, and it's quite, I might have to read straight from it, but it, you know, it conjured up some great visuals for me. It was like, imagine that you're walking through an orchard on a summer's day. There are apples and plums hanging from the trees, and there are sheep grazing under them. Is your inclination to suckle the milk from the ewe, to tear the flesh from the lamb and chew on it, or to pick and eat a fruit? Which is true, you know, and then you've got, in comparison, a lion wandering through the same area would demolish the, the ewe and the lamb, but leave the fruit alone. So, you know, in reality, humans have never had the physical attributes to 
catch a sheep, suckle its milk, kill it and, and tear its flesh off without the aid of multiple tools and preferably a fire to cook it over, which just puts everything in a nutshell, doesn't it? You know, it's just like, yeah, it makes total sense. We're not lions, all these people that like to think, oh, but I'm the lion, I'm the top of the food chain, I've got these big teeth. It's just like, meh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One, of the, one of the discoveries I made during the writing of the book was the fact that it, it, when I was trying to put it all together in my head, that, that humans, have, the difference between humans and everything, every other animal, is that we've got control of fire. And, and I think that's, that's what was, is a making and breaking of us. It was a making of us in that the, we could cook rough old grains and things and, and, and get good food out of them, which allowed our brains to develop. Which you, you've read in the book, and I've just, just recalled, a lot of people tell me that it's the meat that we eat that makes our brains grow, but it's not. It's the vegetables we eat that make. And the fact that we cook them way, way, way back is what put us into the shape we're in. And, um, and so the, the fire, the control of fire is, is the making of it. One of the ones that I really love is um, when you talk about um, a bus trip over my eyes to the enormous lack of biodiversity along the hundreds of kilo kilometers traveling past the green desert of New Zealand's monocultural pasture lands. It felt like a tragedy for our native species and a tragedy for our country. I, I love that because for us, we've lived on the road for uh, coming up almost four oh, years yeah. and we traveled the length and breadth of New Zealand. And for anyone who's come over here from overseas, we'll see, often they comment on seeing all the sheep or what is now all the dairy farms, but it's just these big, vast green plains everywhere. and. Yeah, I, I really, I love this country, but I hate seeing these just, these planes of destruction, really. But that is not, in New Zealand, and, and in my mind, as, in particular, as much as anyone else's, those rolling green fields is what we were brought up with, and we think that's the beauty of the country. Mm. And, and, and it, it shatters me, because it, it, there's no biodiversity in that land whatsoever and just cruelly treated animals on it. <laughs> and, and, and yet so many people see that rolling green countryside is New Zealand and the beauty of New Zealand. Yeah, clean. And it's disappointing when you grow out of it like you and I have, because then when you drive through it, you start screaming and saying, get rid of this baby. Yeah, yeah, you really do. You really do. And we actually we had a friend who uh, visited New Zealand from the UK last year, and she spent the first time, uh, the first part of her uh, trip, sort of down south with um, sort of Tianao, Fiordland, Milford Sound, all that beautiful stuff, you know. And then um, she went to the Waikato, which is is where I farmed for for you know quite a few years, working on on dairy farms, and um, she actually went home early. Um, I remember reading her Facebook accounts. She could not handle the amount of animal agriculture that was surrounding her in, in that part of the North Island of New Zealand. Um, and I thought at the time, oh, is it really that bad? I know it's a lot of farmland, but is it, is it really that bad that you, you really can't handle it? You know, it's probably not the ideal place for a vegan, but is it really that bad? And then a few months later, we came back made our way up from the South Island to that area. And as soon as we hit the North Island, we were just like, whoa, you know, because last time we left the North Island, we weren't vegan. So we didn't, um, yeah, just the same thing. Beautiful green pastoral land, peaceful cows grazing, all of that, you know. Um, and to look at it with different eyes like you did on that bus trip was um, quite heartbreaking, really. Yeah, I can understand that. I can understand that. 
uh, another thing we've got to teach the country to come to terms with. Definitely, yeah. definitely. But I, I think my favourite quote of all um, is, you know, if I, if I can quote this one, is uh, our, New, our New Zealand landscape must and will change. In my vision, green pasture will revert to forests and domestic animals will become nothing more than species of interest. Dairy factories, milking sheds, wool sheds, freezing works and millions of kilometres of fencing will become the dark satanic mills of New Zealand. I love that because that's the vision that we have as well. Imagine if it was all covered in trees. Thank you for reading that. Um, yeah, I remember writing that. Now I'm very proud of that actually because I think that's it's it's all true. Thank you. Oh, it, it really sums it up, you know. And and hopefully, you know, we it will be lovely to see things revert to that. Um, they well, they will. Rest assured, they will. Yeah. Not because of us necessarily, but the economics and. And, 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 and culture will change. And that's what we'll finish up with. One day. One day, yeah, I really look forward to that. And we'll, we'll do our, our darndest to fight for that. Yeah. Well, it's nice to have you on our side. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, James, thank you so much for, for talking to us and, and for giving up your time. Um, where can people find out more about your wonderful book? Um, it, it's like yours, it's, it's for sale and it's being distributed by Nationwide nationwide books and it's in libraries and, and bookshops around the country or at, at, at um i've got a um website plantparadigm.com so if they if people want to buy it i can buy it from, from my website oh lovely so um Wonderful. we'll get make sure we uh put the link in that once we uh, put the video up and stuff like that and um so everyone can just easily click on that and hopefully you get your wonderful book yeah i really I really want to spread it as far as I can. So thank you very much. Well, thank you for being with us. Yes, no problem. Is there anywhere else um, or anyone else that you would like to mention or recommend? Um, you said that you've, you've written another book, so I'm keen to read that now as well. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I said that's, that's my autobiography of my first two thirds of my life. <laughs> it's, also on, it's also for sale on, on, um, on, uh, on plantparadigm.com. Uh, it's oh. called Losing the Silver Spoon. Oh, lovely. Oh, I would be definitely keen to read about your adventures. You know, you've, you've had a very um, interesting and, and entertaining life. And, you know, you are, the proof is in the pudding. It is never too late to turn around and to make big change. And it's, it's wonderful that you've been so active ever since, you know, and, and so generous in sharing your information and helping other people. So, um, yeah, good on you. It's, it's I, um, thank you very much. I, I um, watch, I regularly watch um, Michael Grieger's um, podcast. It's sort of like going to church. It, it just, just it, you know it all now. I know it all now, but it's lovely to just keep it being reinforced when he comes up with one of his blogs. And there was one he put out the other day about it's never too late, and how 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 people with all sorts of illnesses at all sorts of ages, way beyond my age sometimes, uh, can can get massive recoveries just by going plant based. So it's never too late. You're right. Thank you for listening to this interview. We hope you found it informative and entertaining. To learn more about James's work, check out jameswilsonbooks.nz. Once again, be sure to follow us on our social media platforms for future episodes. This has been Vegan FTA, vegan for the animals.